Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Ina Coriel, and Philippe Delama Troc. Those are my pen names. And I write under all of them, or have written under all of them. I'm presently writing stories by Gabrielle Lawson and Philippe Delama Troc. Ina Coriel, she hasn't written anything for quite a while, but who knows? She's immortal. She may do it again someday. But we are ready for the conclusion of Finding Home by Philippe de la Matroc. This is the sequel to Alien Us by Philippe de la Matroc. Alien Us was all of season six. All 30 episodes, 30 chapters, and it took 10 years to write. It took six years to start this sequel and three years to write it. So almost as long, really, <laughs> as it took to write Alien Us. Um, but we are about to finish it tonight. So I'm going to read chapter 17 and the epilogue, and that will finish out Finding Home. I hope that you enjoy it and that you've enjoyed the rest of it so far and that you'll come back next time I do record another story when I finish writing one. <laughs> I do have still technically three whips and a series whip and I will explain all that if you don't not are not aware in the commentary. Let's get into chapter 17. Star Trek Enterprise Finding Home by Philippe de la Matroc, sequel to Alien Us, chapter 17. They had spent the rest of the morning talking well into the afternoon. He put in a call to Admiral Isu. She reached out to the academy to see if they had a place for her. Isu set him up with two semesters of engineering courses and promised sonic showers for the flat and their future on-base housing. They only now needed transfers from Enterprise. I'll miss Phlox, the captain, Travis, she said. Trip, Malcolm added, and she nodded. I'll miss the adventure, too, but I think I'm ready for safe. She nodded. We'll have different adventures. Marriage, cats, kids, cats? He asked, Lily will need someone to play with, but I get to name the next one. They took in a few more sights around London and even went on a couple original London walks. Hoshi had chosen haunted London, Reed chose ancient London, and they were tickled to find that they went to some of the same buildings in both tours. They spent the nights together, moving one step closer each time until the orcs were utterly banished from the bed as long as he had tactical on. Four days later, he put her in a ship to Japan. An hour after that, he was greeting Trip and Lily. She did not like the trip, Trip told him as they rode the elevator up to his floor, howled the whole way. So what did you and Hoshi get up to during your time together? Double-decker tour bus, all things touristy, Malcolm told him, shopping. You gonna be okay without her? The elevator stopped and Malcolm led Trip to his flat. Well, you are a poor substitute, but she needs time with her family. He touched his forehead. Besides, we can still talk. Tell her I said hello. Trip set the carrier on the floor and opened it. Lily stepped out gingerly, sniffing the air. She probably needs to explore a bit. He walked to the big window and opened the curtains. The view was cut short by the buildings across the street, but a bit of sky was visible. It was cloudy out and gray, but not overly cold. What can we do that isn't touristy? Malcolm did have an idea. In that case, I'll go hire a flitter. Ready for a field trip? 
They started at a stately house about 30 minutes outside of London. Malcolm parked the flitter in the street a little south of the house. They stayed in the flitter and didn't get out. It's still technically in father's name, Malcolm explained. I lived here until we moved to Malaysia. Trip bent to get a better look out the window. It's rather big. Old too, Malcolm commented. Madeline earned her architecture badge on it. That's how she knew she could safely climb out of her third-story window to rescue me from a boat. Trip turned to him. Left in an anchored boat with no oars, he repeated. That was here? Malcolm nodded. Lakes off the side and behind the house. You'll just have to trust me on that. I'm not going to fly o over it. But if you look over there, he pointed to the right, you can just see a bit of the boathouse. Trip looked, but turned back, smiling. Like I said, rather big. Well, father was an admiral. Malcolm turned to his seat to face Trip directly. Those first 12 years were fine. Strict by your standards, perhaps, but I knew my parents loved me, and I them. The drowning started the change, and that was at Evington, so we need to go there next. He turned back around and lifted the flitter off the road. This was a longer trip, so he answered Trip's questions as best he could. We ate what was in front of us. We were little. We had to at least try everything. And that one plate was it. No seconds. If we were hungry, we ate even what we didn't like. But I think Mother could tell from our faces and served less of those things. Tripp shrugged. Okay, but you never asked for a particular meal, like on your birthday or anything? Malcolm shrugged, too. Maybe before I started school, but I don't remember. My birthday was during the school year. Boarding school... Trip said, putting it together, and you didn't get to choose the menu there. Exactly. Malcolm saw the school ahead. But one time they served pineapple in the spring. I ended up in the infirmary with an allergic reaction, but I just loved it. And didn't tell anyone for decades. Malcolm set the flitter down in the visitor's lot, amongst others. Apparently, they weren't the only visitors. They walked up to the main gate. A man questioned them there. Are you here for a student? Former student. Malcolm replied. I'm Lieutenant Malcolm Reed, and this is Commander Charles Tucker of the Enterprise. Oh, dear me. The man immediately opened the gate. I didn't recognize you out of uniform. We're honored by your visit. You're probably our most famous alum. I'll call the headmaster to meet you. Go right on up to Woodbeat Hall. Tripp chuckled as they approached the building. Nice to be famous. There was talk about naming my old high school after me, but it doesn't exist anymore. As soon as they'd stepped inside, an older man in black robes rushed toward them and shook both their hands. Welcome to both of you, and thank you for your service in saving us from the Zindi. I'm Headmaster Southwark. Would you like a tour? Just the highlights for my American friend, Malcolm answered. The tour led them flat past classrooms and dormitories, the library, and other such staples of English boarding schools. The buildings here were old as well, and they seemed smaller to Malcolm now. The students must have been notified because they all looked up wide-eyed as they passed. As they approached Grayton Hall, Malcolm spoke up. Thank you for the tour, Headmaster, but I'm sure you have other duties to attend to. We can find our way from here. Of course, Southwark replied. Take as much time as you like. He shook their hands again and then hurried off. Malcolm led Tripp past the large bulk of Grayton Hall and toward the gardener's cottage. He stopped at the corner. I heard it first. Laughter but mean, and a younger boy crying. No, please. Twelve? Tripp asked for confirmation. Malcolm nodded. Three older boys, bullies, tormenting a boy younger than me. They were on top of him, trying to force him to eat a worm, as it turned out. 
I stayed here for a moment, deciding. I'm not the tallest person, and at twelve I was still rather small. If I moved forward, they'd see me. If I went for a teacher, they'd be gone by the time I got back. He looked back at the side of the cottage. Then I saw a rake. I took it and ran back to this spot. Leslie Morris and his goons, Gerald Bollingswill, and Terence Bishop. Leslie was atop Victor Renslow with the worm. I wielded the rake and told them to get off. He started to shake and breathe hard. He leaned on the cottage wall for support. You don't have to, Tripp told him, putting a hand on his shoulder. Malcolm shook his head. If I tell it enough, it won't hurt anymore. He slid down the wall, but I think I'll sit. Tripp sat down in the grass with him, and Malcolm continued. After a bit of waving it this way and that, it, it worked. They got off, Victor. And I asked him if he was all right, just as Gerald threw something. He put a hand to his left temple. Rock hit hard. I couldn't see. There were kaleidoscopes behind my eyelids. I tried to keep swinging the rake, but I was afraid I'd hit Victor. It gave them an opening. Malcolm wasn't seeing Trip anymore, but he knew he was there. He remembered to keep it slow and breathe, so he narrated the memory and left out some of the details. They beat me until I couldn't tell up from down. Then they dragged me somewhere I couldn't tell. The cold water around my head brought me back to my senses. I fought to get up, but there were three of them. The fountain, Tripp said from somewhere in front of him. That's when I first heard her voice, a sultry voice telling me the air in my lungs was the problem, and my chest did hurt from it. I blew the air out, but there was none to take in. He closed his eyes and blew out his breath slowly. He did that a few times. Mistress Linscott was coming to see her lover, the Greensman, when she found us. I guessed Leslie and his gang ran off. She resuscitated me and called emergency services. I was whirled off to hospital. He could see Tripp again. He looked concerned and angry. That's awful. They could have killed you. What happened with them? Malcolm shook his head. Nothing much. Couldn't be in class together. Teachers watched them like hawks. And I repeat, they could have killed you. Malcolm shrugged. Mistress Linscott had bad eyes. She couldn't positively identify them. My guess is that Victor was too scared and didn't come forward. I was too ill, fighting pneumonia. Their families gave large donations to the school. They were allowed to stay. Tripp shook his head. You still went to school here? Not by choice, Malcolm said, nodding. A long line of reeds were Ebbington graduates. He watched Tripp carefully. I did fantasize about blowing up the school with them in it. Tripp stood. Now, why doesn't that surprise me? He offered a hand and helped Malcolm up. They started to walk back toward the gate and the visitor's lot beyond. I did get my revenge, though. Tripp chuckled. Oh, do tell. I got my own thugs by helping with some older kids' homework. Malcolm explained. Two years to the day, they helped trick Leslie Morris on a boat ride to partake of some liquor they purloined from their father's collections. That's not just revenge, Tripp said. That's a whole revenge scheme. Two years? Mostly, Malcolm replied. Took time to make them loyal. Tripp chuckled again. Of course it would, Malcolm went on. But there was no liquor at the dock. I and my goons gave him a beating, he sighed and I told them to throw him in the river. Tripp stopped, so Malcolm stopped with him, but he kept talking. He said he couldn't swim. I replied that I couldn't, not anymore. He cried, and I saw something in his eyes that stopped me. 
I saw myself reflected in his tears. I saw that I'd become Leslie Morris. All my anger poured out and I looked up and I saw a star or a starship. I told them to take him to hospital and I sat on the dock. I heard her trying to coax me in, but above that water was sky and above the sky was space. And I knew I needed to go there. Trip blinked. Remind me never to get into a practical joke war with you. That was quite a turnaround, but it fits. You are the most anti-bully person I know. Leslie ever rat you out? Malcolm shook his head and started again for the lot and the flitter. Trip caught up with him. I probably wouldn't either. Not knowing your change of heart, he was probably too scared of you. Malcolm allowed a smile. I like to think so. They reached the gate. Do come visit again, Lieutenant, the gateman offered. Malcolm just smiled and nodded as they passed through. When they were past hearing range, Malcolm continued. At home, things changed gradually. They were very concerned and angry while I was in hospital. About a month after, my father took me waiting in the lake. I ran from him. He called out that he wouldn't have allowed me to drown, and it was probably true. But I kept running, hiding. Mother tried picnics by the lake. No food if I didn't go. Father tried the thing with the boat. He tried harder and got angrier. He stopped talking to me on the rides home from here. By the time the pier happened, I don't think he loved me anymore. He opened the flitter and they got in. It's hard for me to get my head around it, Triv admitted, that a father would choose tradition over his son's well-being. I'm very sorry you had to live with that. Malcolm nodded, taking his seat. Me too. I remember how they were before. I think that's why I kept hoping. He started up the flitter the return to London. Probably still hurts, Trip offered, but you don't need them anymore. No, he didn't. Your turn now, Malcolm said. Tell me stories about my new family. How much time we got? Trip laughed. When Malcolm came to Japan, her parents greeted him formally with bows and ceremony. She helped him through the ceremony so he never missed a beat. That over, there were hugs all around, and he was welcomed into the family. That night, her parents and sisters and their families all celebrated with him at, in Tokyo at Hoshi's favorite restaurant. Hoshi helped him again by going through the menu with him to find something he could enjoy. No one noticed, of course. She even slipped a Japanese word now and then to ease him into the family. She watched him when she wasn't helping. He smiled openly and participated in the conversation easily. Being part of Tripp's family had changed him. Not so much that she loved him any less. It was more of a healing change. She felt that healing, too. She felt more like herself than she had after Sharu. They stayed another week. Then they went back to Mississippi to share the news with her future in-laws. She had barely met them the day Enterprise had returned. They were a lot like Trips, so it was easy to like them. And she could see that they really had accepted Malcolm. They asked about their future plans, and they confided in their desire to leave the ship and stay on Earth. It was harder with the captain. Malcolm, Hoshi, and their parents were all invited to dine with the captain. Trip flew them up to the space dock. None of the parents had ever left Earth before. The fathers were more or less thrilled while the mothers bonded in their nervousness. Malcolm kept looking out the window. Madeline never saw this, he told her quietly. Captain Archer and T'Pol met them in the bay. Should we change into uniform, sir? Hoshi asked, feeling underdressed in her sundress. Why, he asked, you're still on leave. The parents took a moment to look back at Earth through the viewports, then they were all ushered into the captain's mess. 
The main course was steak and rice. There was bread and salad on the side. To Paul, of course, skip the steak. The conversation was mostly small talk and getting to know each other. Her parents and the Tuckers hadn't met before this. Hoshi was still intoxicated by Malcolm's presence and nervous for their announcements. They waited until the dinner plates were removed and dessert was served, ice cream with pineapple syrup. Captain, Malcolm began as he touched his spoon but didn't lift it. Hoshi and I have some things we'd like to say. That's fine, Archer replied. I did happen to notice something shiny on Hoshi's left hand. I do hope that's one of them. Hoshi smiled and held up her left hand with the ring. We'd be honored if you'd perform the wedding here. The captain smiled widely and stood to shake both her hands. Absolutely. Tripp and T'Pol congratulated them. The parents already knew. Malcolm cleared his throat. <clears throat> On a less happy note, he said, we'd also like transfers. That quieted the room. The captain's smile faded. If it's because we don't have joint quarters, we'll figure something out. Malcolm shook his head. It's not that, sir. She took his hand on the table. I can't be your tactical officer anymore. Imagine a dangerous mission and I have a flashback. I do still have them. That would put this crew or this ship into a much worse situation. But at R&D, I can work to protect all the crews on all the ships. My demonstration to Admiral Isu was a proof of concept. I wrapped the house in EM shielding. It's not the right medium, but think of it. We could create shields that wrap around our ships. I can help with that. Tripp offered a sad smile. He's got the goods. Headmaster at his old school kept going on about Malcolm being the top student in his form. The captain looked to Hoshi. I'll still work on the Universal Translator, she told him. I'll teach, and I'll probably tick off less admirals. The captain nodded. You sure you can walk away from seeing new worlds, hearing new languages? We'll miss it, Malcolm confirmed. But we're ready for different kinds of adventures. He squeezed her hand. Marriage, for one. More therapy, definitely. More cats and maybe even children one day. More cats? Tripp asked. Lily needs a playmate, Hoshi told him. And another kitten will keep her occupied while we're at work. Archer smiled a sadder smile. Granted. We'll miss you both, but not until after the wedding. Now eat up before the ice cream melts. Malcolm stood with Tripp and Travis near Captain Archer as the music started. They were all dressed in their dress uniforms. Malcolm felt it was stiff, but he liked the formality of it. He was a little nervous, but not much. He knew this is what he wanted for his life, to be with Hoshi for the rest of it. Marriage made sense. He turned as the door opened, and Hoshi's father escorted her in. She was wearing a brilliant white kimono, and her hair was done up like the images he'd seen of geishas. You are beautiful, he told her. She smiled but didn't reply. Her father deposited her next to him, and they held hands as they turned together toward the captain. Malcolm barely heard the words the captain was speaking. He was just lost in it, kind of like wallowing, but in a positive context. This was the pinnacle, the best day of his life. Hoshi had her family with her, mother, father, and two sisters. Malcolm had his new family, the Tuckers. Flocks and T'Pol had come, as did a few of her other girlfriends from the ship. Malcolm had also invited Trevon. He and Flock stood with T'Pol, observing an earth ritual of mixed cultures. The service was fairly standard for America and Europe, and, well, Starfleet. Hoshi barely heard it. 
This was the start of a, of a new life together with Malcolm. It was going to be different in so many ways. No ship, a home on earth to share, new careers. To represent her Japanese culture, she wore the kimono her mother and grandmother had been married in. Her sisters and their children had folded very nearly 1,000 origami cranes, which were strewn around the room, and there was the sankon no gi. She turned her attention back to the captain when he asked if she accepted Malcolm as her husband. I do. Malcolm put the band that matched her engagement ring on her finger. Malcolm said, I do, to his questions as well, and Hoshi slipped his ring onto his left ring finger. There was a small table behind the captain, and he moved out of the way so she and Malcolm could approach it. On it was a stack of three nearly flat sake cups and a small pitcher. She poured sake into the first cup, representing the past. They said the words together. We are grateful for our ancestors who raised us and for the past that we have met. They drank from the me medium cup for the present. We aspire to marry and work together with each other. And finally, the larger cup for the future. We wish to build a happy family and we pledge eternal love. And that was it. They were married. Archer introduced them as Mr. and Mrs. Reed Sato and the crowd applauded. Turp clapped Malcolm on the back and Hoshi's sisters both hugged her at the same time. They turned to their guest. Mom was crying. She thought maybe her dad was too. Malcolm shook her father's hand and bowed to her mother. Elaine Tucker hugged them both and the elder Charles shook Malcolm's hand. They had cake and some presents were brought forward. Hoshi just couldn't wait to get away with her husband. Hoshi threw her bouquet and she and Malcolm were whisked off by Travis to the shuttle pod that would take them to Prague. Malcolm had said that Madeline had wished she'd seen it, and Hoshi had suggested it for their honeymoon. It was evening in Prague when they checked into their hotel off Vaslavske Namjesti. Tomorrow they were going to walk to Staromieske Namjesti and Karluk Most, beyond. They were some of the oldest parts of the city. The castle beyond the bridge was the largest in Europe. But really, she had only one thing on her mind this evening. She and Malcolm had come a long way in their experiments. She couldn't wait to try again. Malcolm unlocked the door to their new home on base at Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco. He had enjoyed Prague, but was rather tired of sponge baths. He turned to Hoshi and picked her up in his arms to carry her over the threshold. She hadn't expected that and laughed in surprise. Welcome home, Mr. Reed Sato, she said as she kissed him on the cheek. He set her back on her feet. Welcome home, Mrs. Reed Sato. Now we mustn't forget our little ones. He stepped back out the door to pick up the two cat carriers. Hoshi closed the door for him, and he put the carriers on the ground and opened them. Lily was the first out. She was the elder of the kittens and more adventurous. Haruko looked to his big sister to know what was safe. Together they started exploring the living room. The place was furnished, but it lacked a personal touch. Malcolm wasn't very confident in that department, but he was sure Hoshi would make it homey. She went to the kitchen to inspect the cabinets while Malcolm went looking for something particular. He found it in the bathroom off the home office. I'll be just a few minutes, he called out and stepped inside. When he finished, he took in the office. There were two desks, one on each side of the room. He figured there needed to be a cat tree on the wall between them. He returned to the living room to unpack one of their crates. He found the litter box and litter and took them to the utility room. Haruko followed him and proceeded to initiate it as soon as he poured in the litter. Lily meowed at him from the door, so he went back to the crates to get the cat food. Then he went into the kitchen to ask Hoshi for some bowls, but she wasn't in there. 
He opened a couple cabinets until he found three bowls. He mixed food for both in a water dish and set them on the floor. The two kittens started in on the food instantly. Wondering where Hoshi had gone, he went to the bedroom and found her lying on the bed wearing nothing at all. Lieutenant, I think you're wearing too many clothes. He smiled and started stripping. As he did, he turned up tactile all the way. I'm just going to read off the author's notes right here because we have an epilogue still. There's a superscript of a one up there where Malcolm was telling Trip the story of the drowning and the revenge. And the note says, yet again, summarized from Last Full Measure by Michael A. Martin and Andy Mangles, Pocket Books, 2006, New York, pages 150 through 154. And then there's another author's note. Yeah, I got lazy with the wedding ceremony. If anyone wants to write the dialogue and vows, I'll see if I can edit it in and give you credit. Epilogue. Trip yawned as he dried off after his shower. He'd been elbow deep in EPS conduits for the last three hours after the mix in the warp core got wonky and two conduits had blown out as they approached the nebula they were exploring. He was beat. His console beeped, so he took a look. He had two new messages. One was from his mother, and the other was from Malcolm and Hoshi. Things hadn't been the same without them, but it was starting to feel normal again. Carstairs was doing fine at communications, and Lieutenant Stoika was a good fit at tactical. She proved herself to be a bit of a hustler. Some of the folks they tangled with had thought she would be an easy target as a woman. She let them. Until she kicked their asses. Malcolm would have liked her. He opened Malcolm and Hoshi's message first. There was a video. He clicked it. Hello, Uncle Trip, Hoshi called. She was cradling a small human in her arms. Trip forgot about being tired. He stopped the video and called the captain to his quarters. He put on his nightclothes while he waited. Soon John was there. What's up, Trip? Trip grinned. Got a message from Malcolm and Hoshi. Figured you'd like to see it. They went to his desk and he started the video. Hello, Uncle Trip, Hoshi called as she waved the baby's arms. Is that a baby? Archer asked. Trip chuckled. Sure looks like one. Suddenly, a bundle of fur blocked the screen. Heroku down. Malcolm's voice said from behind the cat. He pulled the cat into his lap. We just got home from the hospital yesterday. Hoshi turned the baby to the camera. It had dark hair like its parents. Say hello to Madeline Elizabeth Reed Sato. Hoshi was practically glowing. The newest member of our family. Trip nearly choked up. They honored both his and Malcolm's sister in the naming. Jonathan put a hand on his shoulder. We're going to need a bigger house in a few months, Malcolm said. This is a short message because I'll have to pick up mom in a couple minutes. She's coming out to help for a few weeks. Then maybe Hoshi's mom after that. Hoshi patted Malcolm's arm. After my leave, I'll be working half-time at the academy and half-Starfleet HCD. Malcolm's almost finished with his engineering degree. Two more months and I'll be officially assigned to R&D, though I may take my paternity leave after I graduate. Haruko, the cat, leaned over Malcolm to sniff at the baby. He's jealous he's not the youngest anymore, Hoshi joked. Lily is nearly full grown. This one already weighs more than the baby. Now you know what we've been up to, Malcolm said. Write back and catch us up, will you? It's been months. Hoshi waved the baby's arm again. Bye-bye. The video stopped. Nine months at least, Archer added. Trip looked at him. I'm an uncle again. First baby. Owen was a kid when he was adopted. He leaned back in his chair. Wow. Congrats, Trip. Trip opened the message from his mother. 
there was only one sentence. We have a grandbaby. I don't think she's excited at all, Tripp said jokingly. Archer chuckled. May be hard after that, but you need to get some sleep. We're still getting power fluctuations in the armory. Stoika has it locked down for now. You'll need to get on it first thing tomorrow, Uncle Tripp. Tripp sighed. Uh, right. He stood back from the desk to escort Archer to the door. Did you notice they named her after? Yes, I did, the captain said. Night, Tripp. After the door closed behind him, Tripp dimmed the lights and lay back on his bed. He wondered if Mom's dream Elizabeth knew that she was an aunt again. He closed his eyes, hoping maybe he'd dream that same Elizabeth and let her know. The End Well, there you are. The end is a happy one. My first ever. I don't think it's my best, but I did have to get some events in there, and I did what I could. I didn't want to write the whole vows thing, um, so I do still offer that. If somebody wants to out there hears this and goes, I know what they would say for their vows, let, let me know. <laughs> Again, my email address is in hild at gmail.com. That's I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I at gmail.com. And we'll see if we can. I can get it edited into that wedding ceremony there. I did do some research, very quickly Googled uh, Japanese traditions, and I caught on to that one. The Sankan no Gi, I probably am butchering the pronunciation because I've never learned Jap Japanese. Um, as some, one of my um, commenters pointed out, Malcolm probably had a little tough problem saying that first thing but he did have the first 12 years and there is the path that led them to each other so i think he could manage it and then the um honeymoon is in prague why because i happen to absolutely utterly love prague it is my favorite place in this whole world and i mentioned a few places that they were going to be they are the um Václavské náměstí, Staromyjské náměstí, and Karlov most. Václavské náměstí means Václav's square. It's a very long rectangle. It's not a square. <laughs> uh, at the top of the hill is a a statue of uh, Svati Václav, or Wenceslas, King Wenceslas. You know that Christmas song? Yeah, that's the guy. And behind that is the National Museum. There's a lot of shops all down these like two long blocks that make up Vlaslavské náměstí. And then if you walk a certain way, you can make your way to Staromyeské náměstí or Old Town Square. Stary is Old Mieské Town náměstí. And this is just fantastic. There is a clock there called the Orloi that rings once an hour and when it rings these little windows open and each of the 12 apostles come out and bow there is a money changer that shakes his money bag and there's a skeleton on the other side and this is an astronomical clock and it's amazing and it was built in the 1300s yeah <laughs> and it's been going pretty much that time there was broken for time the legend is that the maker 
of it was blinded so that he wouldn't recreate it somewhere else. And in revenge, he stopped the clock. And for hundreds of years, nobody knew how to make the clock go again. But they finally got it, and it's been going since then. I don't know if that's true, but it's a it's an interesting um, tradition or legend. And then there's also the town hall with there's some marks on the ground on the cobblestones. This is uh, where three three people, I believe, were defenestrated or thrown out the windows. Um, there is a whole story behind that. I'm not going to tell it here. And in the center of this square, which really is a square, <laughs> is a big statue of Jan Hus. Jan Hus was a particular religious leader. And I believe somewhere near the Thirty Years War. Um, and then behind the uh, on the opposite side of the square from the Orloi is and the, and the town hall is this beautiful Gothic church. It sits just behind some more Renaissance looking buildings and that just a juxtaposition of the two different architectural styles is a, it, it's just it, it draws my eyes every time. The church is the Teen Chapel, T-Y-N, Teen, and it is just Gothic with these Gothic spires and everything. It is just beautiful. Um, but then you can walk some more a certain way and you end up at Karlov Most. This is Charles Bridge. It is the most famous bridge in all of Prague and it's named for Charles IV, who was also the Holy Roman Emperor, as well as the King of Bohemia, or Czech, the Czech lands. And he's the one of, he's their most beloved king. And that build, that bridge, I was in a Prague Castle in the Svativiet Cathedral there, St. Viet which translates like guy anyway um you know the name guy um in there in one of the alcoves there's a woodcut of prague from the 1300s and charles bridge is there just like it is now and that's amazing just how old everything is over there i guess i'm american there are old things here but the the Western, European, etc., stuff that is old here is only, you know, two to three centuries, four centuries at the most. Beyond that is prehistoric stuff that the Native Americans that we think of that, you know, that sort of still exist didn't leave a lot of permanent structures. So there's not a lot architecture, archaeologically there, sadly sadly but they are finding things like in mounds in like Cahokia for instance but also closer to my home in Riverside they're finding um, artifacts inside those mounds and such that go back like 250,000 years so we do have old here <laughs> but I am particularly drawn to that European old and that Czech old Warsaw is a beautiful, you know, has a beautiful old town and it's all new. It looks old, but it was destroyed in World War II. The Nazis 
particularly wanted to destroy places of cultural interest after the Warsaw Uprising. So it was leveled. And what they did is they went back to paintings and blueprints and built it to look just like it did. And it looks like they're 300 years old. It really does. <laughs> Everything looks so old in that, all the, you know, the hobbly cobbly streets and the, 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 the roofs and everything just looks amazing and old, but it's not. And as you go into the castle there, you can see some befores and afters, the rubble and then the afters. Um, there's a tall uh, column with a statue of Saint of King Sigismund, I believe, on it. And then off to the side of the castle, you see the original columns in pieces. But Prague, Prague was not bombed. Everything there is that old. And Svatikvit Cathedral was started in the 900s and not finished till the 1900s. There's a chapel in Prague Castle that is from the 900s, St. George's, uh, something or other. There's a little, little alley with these tiny little houses called Golden Lane that Kafka once lived in. But they are so tiny, these little houses. One of them is two stories tall, but because there's no room for a staircase, there was a fold-up staircase. It folds up against the wall, and then you fold it down to go up. And they have little shops in there now, but it used to be a place for the alchemists to be. Um, and then there's a tower where the, you know, they left people to, to die. Kind of an oubliette down there. Um, so it's, it's a huge castle complex. It is the largest in Europe. It is where the seat of the um, Czech president. He does live there. But you, there's lots of tourists go in, and you know, there's many places for tourists to go see. We don't see the, the residence of the president. You see all the other stuff. It is amazing. And on either side of Charles Bridge, there's a powder tower on one side and another tower with two, two tops on the Malastrana side, which is this small quarter over there. And there's this little restaurant that makes the best hot chocolate. Oh my gosh, <laughs> just the best hot chocolate. My husband and I went there a couple of times on our honeymoon. Um, we did stay in a hotel just off of Václavák or Václavské náměstí. That's a short for, for that. It's called Václavák. And, um, we we had a grand time. I I loved Prague. I love Prague. When I lived in the Czech Republic, in which is two hours outside of Prague, in a town called Teplitza, and I taught in the gymnasium at Duxov, I went to Prague at least once a month. And my excuse was that I had to buy a T-shirt for somebody in my family, and I have a very big family, so to get everyone a T-shirt, you know, I went a month, <laughs> and so I went at least once a month. I I loved it absolutely loved it and when I went with my husband I still remembered the path from the bottom of Václavák to Old Town to Charles Bridge and if you know some people imagine their happy place is a beach somewhere mine is 
standing on Charles Bridge in the evening when the lights are lit up in the gardens around the castle and on the castle. And you can see it and you hear the Vltava River roaring underneath. That is my happy place. There are no ca cars allowed on Karlovmost. Um, Karlovmost is a pedestrian bridge. There's, in good weather, there are people, artists with their wares set up and people who play things like hammered dulcimers and whatnot uh, for the tourist. Uh, when we were there, we did have to be careful of pickpockets, sadly. So if you go to Prague, it's probably still a thing. You want to make sure all your goods are secured. Um, when I lived out there, even at Teplitza, my, um, some other Americans and I were going um, around a market and my friend went and put her hand in her purse and somebody else's hand was in it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, they're fairly brazen. So you want to make sure, you know, everything's zipped up. You have, you know, maybe, maybe this is a good time to wear one of those um, things that goes under your jacket or even a fanny pack that's right in front of you that you can um, make sure that, you know, nobody gets your stuff. Um, but it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. I think it's beautiful in all weather, in snow, in rain, in fog, in sunshine. It's just magical. That's my, my word for Prague. It's magical. I love it. And I haven't been there since my honeymoon in 2006. And I want to go back. My husband says we'll go back in 2024. So here's hoping. I miss it. I miss it so bad. Um, I do, however, um, I am involved with a dance troupe. I missed a couple years they, because of the pandemic, and then they didn't have it in June. They had it in October, and then last year I missed the emails about practice times, so I wasn't dancing. But I am back to dancing, and it is so much fun. I love it. I look forward to it every year, these colo dances and these... Um, Slavic dances. They're just great. And we performed at the Sla Sugar Creek Slavic Festival both nights. And in the evenings, if you stay after the performances and the, the uh, sausage eating contest, the kielbasa eating contest, and all the other things that they do, then it's just colo music live colo music. And then everybody in the audience who wants to just gets out in the middle, they form circles concentric circles or you know spirals and they dance these colos and all what you do you know I don't know them all I watch feet I watch somebody else's feet and I try to do it and each year I did they start over and do it and it's so much fun I like dancing that is part of the community like that I like dancing that has particular steps I'm not a freeform kind of dancer give me actual steps I'm much better at that <laughs> Even though some of these are pretty tricky. We got one called Gajda. I have yet to master it. I never did before the pandemic and I still can't. Oh my gosh. And what we do is the ones who are going to perform it are practicing in front of us. And those who haven't got it yet are standing back in the back trying. <laughs> trying to copy their feet. <laughs> and man, it works everything from the knees down really hard. But I, I've never managed to get Gajda. I'm remembering Dermish. Um, I'm in Dermish. I'm in the bridge dance. I don't remember what the Slavic name for it is. And I'm in the finale. 
Um, they're not doing Nakrasela and Gita anymore. I liked Gita because that song, I knew all the words. I didn't have to fake it. I knew all the words to Gita. And Nakrasela um, usually followed that. And that one, it was fun. It was hard. It did a back, back basket weave. Most of our dances are done with a basket weave. So my right hand will reach in front of the person on my right to grab the hand of the person on their right. And my left hand will go under the person's arm on my left because their right hand goes in front of me. And I will hold the hand, the right hand of the person on their left. So we're all kind of like hooked together in this, it's called a basket weave. Well, Nakrasele did one in the back <laughs> and you had to lean back on it and you had to hold your hands in such a way that your fingernails are poking into somebody else's hand. So you had to make sure your fingernails were cut so you were hurting anybody um so it was it was tough and it was a lot of buzzing which is basically you're mainly on one leg you're all your weight is on one leg as you step 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 and it is so tiring on that leg and when i would sing that one i would wait for each stanza i'd wait for the first time we sung the words because we would repeat those words in a different um, rhythm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, those are the words. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and some of the others are just repeating. Um, so we'll do one that's all in a line. It's very slow and the leader will sing something and then we'll sing it and on it goes. And it just, I just love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm not Slavic at all. And the genealogy I've done goes way back, if everything is accurate, because I borrowed it from other people. Um, basically, I found for my dad's side, I found somebody who shares a great-grandfather with me. So their grandfather was the brother of my grandfather. So everybody above that is the same as me. And then for my mother, I found someone, too, on my mother's side. It didn't go as far back, but I also had some information from my grandmother. I'm all over Europe. I'm everything European. I'm every part of the British Isles. I'm every, you know, I'm, I'm France. I'm Portugal. I'm Spain. I'm, um, I don't know about Luxembourg, but, <laughs> um, German. I'm, uh, Scandinavian, all those, uh, countries. But once you get to the Czech and the Poles and the Hungarians, and yeah, I'm not that is kind of sad but then my grandmother on my father's side surprised me because it pulled me back again with this um borrowed people put their ancestry trees on roots web and you can you can view them and and borrow that information and she they brought me back to armenia persia and egypt as well which was very much a surprise i knew pretty much all of europe but those three surprised me but I'm not Slavic. I just love Slavic culture since living there. I fell in love with it. And yeah, I'm an honorary, honorary Czech, I guess. I call Teplitsa my Czech hometown. And I, I adore it. So I had to put it in here. Um, okay, so let's see what else. Ah, these two chapters were the most recent 1617 and the epilogue were the most recent and my goodness they had a lot of typos and errors in it 
I think what happens, especially if I'm just writing or if I'm, you know, typing up something that's in my composition book or writing based on what I put in my composition book, I guess my fingers work faster than my, my brain works faster than my fingers. And I will skip words. I will put words in the wrong places. They're in the right places too, but they're in the wrong places. <laughs> and so I have to do editing and reading out loud is a very good way to find your typos and errors, by the way. And I've been fixing as I go. So if I find an error, I'll read it. And a lot of times I'll flub the reading because I'm like, that don't sound right. Um, but I will then after I finish the paragraph or whatever, pause this recording and I will go fix in my text documents one's text and two are HTML and I will fix them rather easily. <laughs> I just hit control R for the find and replace, paste, paste, fix the second line, click find next. And I've got the all documents checked. So I hit find next. Then I just do replace, replace, replace. And it's done. <laughs> um, I love that all documents. I don't know why I didn't notice it after 20 some odd years with this program. <laughs> more than 20 years. Uh, this program goes way back. Um, but it still works. I love it. Um, super note tab, by the way, I don't think you can buy it or find it as it was. I think there's a newer program that is similar, um, upgraded in a way, but I like what this one can do. And I'm used to what this one can do. And this is the old freeware version of the other. So it's, I love super note tab. <laughs> I just put it on a flash drive and copy it to the next, copy the exe to, you don't have to install it. It is just that. It's the exe. There's no installing. You just run the exe. <laughs> and there you are, super note tab. I love it. And um, it makes editing easy because of that find and replace thing. It also could have just plain old find. It also has, um, for the HTML ones, it has a preview button. And you can see your HTML in a web, web page so you can check it. Like I could notice, I'd noticed in the AO3, but um, I could have noticed, for instance, that I forgot to put Staromieskinyamiesi, Vaclavskinyamiesi, and Karlov Most in italics as well as Songkongnogi. Um, so all of those are now in italics on AO3. I still need to upload them to, um, fanfiction.net. Uh, my site will, is up to date as soon as I save the file. And so, cause I run it off my own computer, this computer. So those are uh, been updated with the edit all the edits. <laughs> so hopefully all the errors are out and all the good writing is in, um, I do mostly read exactly what I see or what should be there, what I will edit it to. Um, there was one case where the Admiral, you know, Trip is said, you know, Trip said, did you notice they named her after? And the captain says, yes, I did. And it just said the captain, period. So I had to read it in as the captain said. But when I went to edit it, I did the captain replied. So occasionally a little change like that or um, 
there might be one word here, you know, little words, not big words, uh, of, no, uh, you know, something like that might pop in that's a little different when I read it, and I might not correct it um, if it's not really a big deal. But anyway, that was my first happy ending. I hope I did a decent job of it. Um, probably got more of the ending I wanted for this one than I got for Alien Us, though I'm now happy with the ending on Alien Us, even though I wasn't sure that that was the ending when I posted it back in 2014. But I am, it, it is pretty much set now. So that, that ending is what that is. And this one, it is harder for me to do happy stories than it is to do angst. So is it my best writing in these last two chapters in the epilogue? Nah, maybe not. Is it bad writing? No, I don't think it's bad. Is it, I just don't think it's great. But it ends this story well. And it does leave canon. So in this case, Alien Us could have happened and brought them back into canon. It could have happened. But this one, because they made the decision to leave Enterprise, and I wasn't sure that was going to happen when I started the story, honestly. That happened somewhere around the middle point, I think, of the writing, that Malcolm would go to R&D, and he would be the guy who helps bring shielding to, you know, Starfleet. Um... Hoshi was teaching before she ended up on Enterprise. She was teaching in Brazil. Um, and she is that genius who hopefully works out the UT. Um, in future treks, we do have a universal translator. Um, in DS9, you see this one episode where these people are found and they, Kira just has to keep them speaking until the universal translator can pick up their enough of their language to start translating it. And then they... So they're speaking gobbledygook and then suddenly they're English they're like half English half gobbledygook and then there's English and you know so Hoshi gets it eventually um I don't know if they have more children like I said I don't plan to write more stories of this series but they are two def definitely related stories so they are a series on archive of our own but it's just the one story and its sequel. So, but I, I do imagine they might have another child and Hoshi will get to name that child. This one, because it was a girl, they did honor both sisters, Madeline, Elizabeth. And by the way, I think that they call her Emmy as a child, you, you know, for short. But it's not E-M-M-I-E, -M -E, Emmy. Like for Emily, it's M-E, her initials, Emmy. But I can see that. And the question then is, does she get any of the telepathic stuff or the super hearing from her parents? It's an interesting thought. Um, either she could hear her dad or she can do it herself. So, yeah. Hmm. Don't know. Um, I do think uh, you know they would have two cats. I did give the second cat a Japanese name, Haruko, 
Um, I did base that cat off of uh, my Rolfie. Rolf is two years old, uh, two and a half now, and he is a buff tabby, a long-haired buff tabby. Buff kind of like is blonde. It's not all the way orange. It's much toned down from that. If he's sitting next to my Eenie, you can definitely tell the difference of orange and white for Eenie and buff for Rolfie. And Rolfie has the most slanted eyes of any cat I've ever seen. They're at quite a severe angle, but it's kind of, it's, it's fascinating to look at. But he is a very hairy guy with a very floofy tail, though he hardly ever holds his tail up to see the floof. Right now he's gotten a very big ruff around his chest, with all this long hair all around his neck and down his chest. It's very nice. And he's, uh, he's a little, little different of a cat, but he's, uh, he can be a sweetie when he wants something. Usually it's when he wants to be fed, which I'm an hour late in doing, so I need to sort of wrap this up. I did want to say what my whips are. I've said them probably many times, but here's what I've got. And probably will have a hiatus in this podcast until I finish another one. Philippe has momentous. If you remember Waiting and Worry and Revelations, these are short stories. And probably when I read momentous, I'll probably read them again in order. They happen before momentous. They are companion stories to momentous. You don't need them to read momentous, but they definitely factor in. Um, Momentous is not M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S. It's M-O-M-E-N-T-I-S. It is the Latin word for moments. And that's because it's a very long story in story time. It lasts 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So I can't write long chapters. (laughs) That one follows the next and the next and the next. So what I did instead was write moments, and there might be two or three chapters that are an arc, so they are close together in time, but they also might skip uh, six months or more in between those, especially after the darkness, ten years of darkness in Final Fantasy, and before Noctis comes back and defeats the bad guy. Um, After that, I may do, you know, there's some close arcs right there at the beginning of that post-Noctis time, but as it moves on in that 20, 30, 40 year thing, there's going to be less and less. They're going to be spaced out much better. We're just going to come back and have a moment with Ignis and his family and etc. We're just going to come back and visit a bit. So I am past the 10 years of darkness. I am past Noctis. I'm in that arc that is right after post-Noctis time. So I could be fairly close to finishing that story based on how many times are we going to visit with them at the beginning of Ignis's reign, spoiler, to the end where he passes it over to his daughter, spoiler, (laughs) which I haven't even written her yet. Um, But yeah, yeah. we're going to visit to that 
And I don't know, maybe there'll even be a Ignis dying scene, you know, where he gets to go to the afterlife and see, see Noctis. Who knows? Um, but being as that may be 10 short chapters or 15 short chapters, they are very short chapters. So it could happen within the next three or four months, possibly, except that I take turns. So that makes it a little harder. All right. Second whip I have is The Path Not Taken. This is an AU of the Winter Soldier. So instead of walking away into the woods at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, sits down next to the unconscious Cap, and how does it go from there? And I've already uh, written through um, Age of Ultron, so I'm coming up on Captain America Civil War, which is going to be very different because Bucky ain't in Romania. So um, he's in the tower. So uh, and there's going to be a way, a different way that he will be at least temporarily free of the words. So he won't have to worry about somebody saying the words and turning him back into the Winter Soldier. So that is interesting. Um, I don't know how long that one's going to be. So I don't know the end of that story yet. So it could be 10 chapters from now. It could be 20 chapters. And these are the good, normal, chunky chapters. The other whip that I have is on the back burner... And I'm pretty sure after I finish those two, I'll probably pull it off the burner and try to get back to writing it. It is called Perchance to Dream. It is a DC Legends of Tomorrow. And it is basically finding a way to undo Captain Cold's death. And it's going to end on a little sad note. But in this, he is uh, alive. So... um that's what it is. And he, uh, he gets a parting gift from the, um, the, or, what do they call that? That, I can't remember. It starts with an O, but it was that light that he basically blew up. That source of, of time information. He blew that up and that blew up all of the, um, the time masters pretty much. So he has a parting gift from that and that changes things for him. It just got really hard for me to get back into him and to write his things with all these other fandoms, getting, you know, much more interest in my brain. So once they're done, perhaps I can bring that in. Or maybe once I finish Momentous, when it's just having the two, Path Not Taken and Perchance Dream, maybe I could do it. And then the other is the series the path or the pieces to a puzzle is not finished making the winter soldier might be finished because by the time we get to his greatest achievement he is the winter soldier um it's just rinse and repeat after that you know there's no there's probably some training here and there, you know, learn this language, learn, oh, we, we've updated these guns. Here's how you do it. This is how you fly this new kind of helicopter. But other than that, <laughs> it's the same thing. Freezer until you have a mission, 
wipe his memory, send him on the mission, stick him back in the freezer when it's done. So his greatest achievement is the culmination. So the only thing I could do is do the time before at Krausberg when he was being experimented on and Captain America saved him. So, and the time right after that. I've kind of covered some of that in um, A Tale of Two Cats and Other Stories. He tells what happened afterwards. He doesn't remember it all. He heard it from Dum Dum and, and the others. But I could write it. I have read stories that covered it so much, so beautifully that I cried my eyes out. Um, so I may not be able to because I feel like I'd be just copying them. So what new could I bring to it? So I don't know that I will. So making the Winter Soldier could be done. Four stories. Pieces to a Puzzle is presently 12 or 13 stories, and there are events that I want to cover thereafter. We've covered one lawyer, for instance. She came back and told Bucky that he'd been awarded $37.5 million. There's some things that he does with that money. There's some things that Sam asks for money to do for him, for Bucky. <laughs> Because he's money bags, yeah, you know, he can afford it. Um, there is a really happy story. Again, happy stories are hard for me, but it's going to be so happy. It's going to be so fluffy. I've done a couple fluff stories uh, with the pieces to a puzzle. And it's basically about Bucky healing from the other side of the trauma that they skipped over in the show and the movies. And they only cover the guilt. In my stories, yes, he still struggles with the guilt. He has to com keep coming back to, you know, forgiving himself. But there's how they made him the torture of those two years in the asset. The absolute torture of the machine that started in the next stage, but it wasn't the last time. The hours of agony with the last of the the um serum and how they administered it that even the amnesiac bucky was so angry that when they asked him to lift heavy things he picked them up they weren't heavy anymore and he just threw it in their faces and he kept throwing until they zapped him and they put him back in the machine so he wouldn't remember that he hated them. So that was strong. I can't put his greatest achievement into pieces to a puzzle because it's all from someone else's point of view. It would only kind of be this amnesiac guy who doesn't know why this guy's hanging around and saying these odd words, <laughs> you know? I don't think that can get in there. I don't know even know if Bucky realizes what was happening when they how that those words got programmed. I don't even know if the Bucky of the future can can look back in his memories and figure that out. I don't think, you know, that it's just how much was he able to think for himself about those words. They just seemed incongruous in what he was doing. So he, you know, he pretty much didn't have a memory at all. 
like they put him in the machine and then they take him to in they this one room with three prisoners and they'd say to him you got to kill them before they kill you and they got to they tell the three guys you got to kill him before he kills you and he just goes okay <laughs> you know <laughs> whatever you know he doesn't know they're going to try to kill him and they do and at first he you know without the the words he just kind of defends against himself a lot he, he counters but he's not trying to kill them until they get serious and try to kill him and then he takes them out but after the words they do it again and he just instantly takes them out because he's programmed i don't know that i could write bucky's side of that I don't think there's enough cognitive things going on in Bucky to write that. Probably before the machine, you know, or before the the words, maybe, because it's like, why are they trying to kill me? I don't want to kill them. I don't need to kill them. I'm stronger than them, you know. Um, if he was thinking, but after the programming, the soldier just does what he's supposed to do now he can think because he can plan he can command other people who are in his mission um so it's not that he can't think but in this test he's not given time to think it's kill these people okay he kills those people because that's what he is programmed to do he's programmed to obey so there's not much I can do to write that. So that particular story of, you know, the other three stories of making the Winter Soldier are in the path, uh, the pieces to a puzzle. But that one cannot be. So I'm going to someday find where those stories start and stop, and I'm going to write them, and that series will grow. So that is the future of my writing at this time. Um, the Momentous is written by Philippe de la Matraque. The Path Not Taken and the Pieces to a Puzzle series are written by Gabrielle Lawson, as is Perchance, not, uh, Perchance to Dream, because those are TV shows and movies, and Momentous is a video game, so Philippe gets those. Well, thank you for sticking with me, and I hope you enjoyed Finding Home. I hope that you will... Um, write those vowels and send them to me so I can edit them into the story. <laughs> um, or you can just drop me a line and tell me what you thought. And um, let me know if you, if you have been enjoying this podcast, if you've got a, an idea for a subject of writing for me to talk about, to make a new episode before I have a new story to read. That would be good too. So email me at inhildy at gmail.com. That is I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I at gmail.com. Or you can toot me at inhildy, the same spelling. And that's probably it for season 10. And we will go on hiatus. And I will return eventually. Bye.